a new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to another edition of the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam radio. Pathway to Peace is a show where we take an analytical look at how we can achieve peace, whether that be political peace, economic peace, societal peace or inner peace. I invite you to get involved in the conversation here on the Pathway to Peace show. You can do this by posting on the X platform at Voice of Islam UK using the hashtag VOI Peace. That's VOI for Voice of Islam, followed by the peace or one word to let us know your thoughts. I'm your host, Arif Khan, and in today's show, we will be taking a look at the topic of habits. This is something that's often on people's mind at the start of the year uh, with the new year, which we've just brought in a few weeks ago. And how can we form good habits and how can we avoid bad habits? We hear of people making New Year's resolutions and aiming to stick to them. But why is it so often that we hear people unable to continue to stick to them? Why is it so hard to keep these New Year habits? And also, why is it so hard to drop bad habits? What role does Islamic teaching and philosophy have to play here? To explore this topic today, I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Sufyan Farooqi. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you, Sufyan. Before we uh, dig into this topic, let me start by asking you a personal question. Do you have any New Year's resolutions that you know, you'd like to share with us? That's a good one. Wa alaikum salam, Arif. It's uh, great to be back on the Voice of Islam and the Pathway to Peace show. Uh, you know, we we talk about so many different things on the pathway to peace, and each and every New Year's, it seems like we get a moment and a chance to reflect on kind of where we've come and what we've done over the past past year. And for whatever reason, this tradition is it's almost like the New Year is a is a time to reset. So we go through and try to try to make some adjustments, try to make some tweaks, and set some resolutions. I mean. For me personally, I mean, it feels like, or if, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like each and every year you kind of come up with almost the same re- resolutions, right. especially when you get to our age. Um, and I won't reveal our ages here on the air, but when you get to our age, it's almost like, okay, you have the same things, right? You want to progress, I guess, when you're younger, they're more more materialistic so it's about making more money it's about you know maybe achieving some some sort of financial success or career success which yeah. which still play a large part but for me personally Arif and and feel free to chime in here as well is it becomes more and more spiritual as you get older and it becomes about more deeper things how to build your connection with God and especially being a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community we're constantly reminded about not just paying attention to the present life but also the afterlife and and with the auxiliary organization uh, that we're a part of the the elders association now we're even more so reminded of you know this is it now you're you're part of the elders association and after this you're essentially meeting your creator so that that really does shake one to their core and uh, we tend to focus more on you know are we being regulated in our five daily prayers and for me personally you know my jihad or my struggle is is trying to get up in the morning for the early morning prayer and even the the supererogatory prayer, the tahajjud prayer, which is voluntary, which is is really encouraged, especially for us being part of the elders' association, because 
that's the way to not only reform oneself spiritually, but also reform our families and 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 our and our children and to pray for them. Uh, that's encouraged. So so, on a broad scale, those are some of my yep. New Year's resolutions. I'm trying to focus more on the spiritual side of things rather than the materialistic and physical side as I as I get older. And let's let's take that as an example. And I don't worry, I'm not going to focus on your personal experience for the whole show. But isn't it interesting that that example you just gave? of you know trying to be more regular in prayers or trying to increase your spirituality like you said that's probably been your resolution for a few years yeah the same thing so there's something it shows to me that there's that it is worth digging into this topic about habit formation because what you've just shown in your example is this is really common where people come up with these ideas often they're ideas they've had before there's things they've wanted to improve for a long time and for whatever reason it's not happened um you know and it's interesting to think whether that be a um, you know, a spiritual goal like you mentioned or, um, you know, one thing that seems to be very common with everyone from all walks of life is about, you know, I want to lose some weight or get physically fitter in the new mm. year. And I think that is the one that, you know, entire you know memes and jokes and things online are made about how everyone, very common, and it's almost part of a business model. You can see that the number of gym memberships at the start of the year, they yeah. kind of go right up. And uh, it's one of those where then as the weeks go by, they tend to kind of, you know, people joke about the regulars at the gym, which is I'm not one of, by the way, I'm not even going to pretend to be. The regulars talk about how when the start of the year, the car park's full. Yeah. <laughs> the equipment's really busy. And uh, as, as, you know, time goes on, it starts to get less and less busy. So it shows that... By the second week of January. Right. So people start <laughs> with that intention. They start with that intention and they always, they often do this and then eventually it falls away. So it sounds like... There's, you know, there's something almost about human psychology that we do struggle to try and take something that we know is right and try and make it a habit. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. This, the habits are just, I mean, the old ones, the bad ones are so hard to kind of get rid of because there's, we're so set in our ways, it feels. And the new ones are so hard to adopt. But I think where we're going today with this program, with this episode of the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam, it's, it's really interesting. And it's something that I think will help our listeners uh, take a proactive approach to not just goal setting, but also making those goals more achievable. Let's do it. Let's get right into it. So yeah, the the thing, the aspect we're going to speak about is, so let me tell a story here, actually. Recently, my uh, older daughter, who's only 14 years old, <laughs> actually bought me a self-help book, literally, called Atomic Habits. Um, it's uh, quite well known, actually. So it's by an author called James Clear. And so he, the full title is Atomic Habits, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. Um, and it was while reading this book and going through it, I'm about halfway through the book, that I really kind of, it made me take a step back. And, and two things really stood out for me in, in the book. And we'll talk about this, Sofiana, don't worry. You don't have to, you haven't, have, you, know, you don't need to have read the book. Same with our listeners. You don't have to read the book to gain something from this, hopefully. But what was interesting was, first of all, um, you know, there were a lot of very simple lessons in that book that around how to kind of make it easier to do the good things you want to do and make it harder to do some of the, the things that you want to avoid. And my other main lesson really was that, wow, you know, my Islamic upbringing and, and the Islamic teaching and Islamic philosophy really ties into a lot of these things. And what I mean by that is the book explores different psychological approaches to try and help form good habits. And we'll get into this in the show, but I found it really profound how actually if you look at if you live a truly Islamic life, you do things like you pray five times a day, you fast in the holy month of Ramadan, which we'll dig into in real detail. You actually are already on the path to kind of building the good habits and, and trying to suppress the bad habits. And every section that I read on that book, there were these sort of two different thoughts. Some of it was around, oh, yes, here's some really good practical advice I can use in my everyday life. But the other part of it was 
do you know what actually Islam has really um, you know has really provided us with such wonderful teaching that ties into these same topics and and Sufyan what the reason I highlight this and the reason that I really wanted to bring this to this audience as well is when when we see that when we see that Islamic teaching is in line with the very latest in psychology and medical research and information about how the brain works and dopamine to me that's a sign that the author of the Holy Quran was the, the creator of us because that person understands how we're made up so well and intrinsically added these rituals and these kind of practices that only now are we able to understand how that kind of it works uh, you know how that has the effect it does so I just found that you know I found that fascinating what, what are your yeah, thoughts? Fa- it is fascinating but sometimes I wonder Arif and I'm going to respond to you with a question myself is do we, is it only because we are part of the faith that we kind of make that correlation or is it as a parent to the layman that may not be familiar with Islam as it would be to us. What what would you say? To it's, a, it's a show for another day, a topic for a whole show in itself almost. But what I'll briefly say on about that is if um, you'll say, let's pick Richard Dawkins because he's the most famous kind of yeah. evolutionary biologist, etc. He's very adamant about, very adamantly and famously atheist. If you're Richard Dawkins, the idea of doing things like prayer hmm. are really confusing. And he's talked about this specifically. He's like, as an act, it uses up energy. It disrupts, like you said, it disrupts your physical sleep. Yet it's something that has remained for thousands of years through human evolution. So it kind of is an anomaly to him yeah. as to why that is something that we still, people still do all the time. So, and it's same with some of these habits as well. It's like, you know, fasting, etc. That would seem a really strange thing to, for people to just come up with as an idea of something that we should do. So I think, uh, maybe, of course, yeah, with our, with our backgrounds will be skewed, and I should say as well, this is not just in Islam; it's in other religions as well. Some of these good practices and and how you build good habits. So, um, yeah, we probably have a different, a specific view on it, but I think it's something. So a little, a little teaser for for our listeners. So yeah. later on in the show, with this one in particular, uh, or if as we were doing research, we came across an actual verse of the Holy Quran, and I won't reveal that verse yet till we get to that portion of the show. But the verse of the Quran clearly talks about the ideas that we are going to okay. be talking Fantastic. about in this show. So, But we'll save that for later and we'll talk about the book first and then okay. get into that Let's get, get right. into the Islamic section. Yeah, that is a good tease. So make sure you stay tuned in to listen to that. So to start with, what we're going to do is just explore some of the key themes in the book. Now there's kind of, there's many, many different kind of uh, aspects highlighted here but the the key, the term atomic so the book is called atomic habits the term atomic here signifies that very small you know small changes basically add up over a period of time so if you're making small changes they will add up and over time that can lead to a much bigger change so that's one of the key themes um you know on the off the book how one percent improvement every single day you know by the end of the year that compounds and suddenly you've improved a whole a whole lot more there were some other specific things as well that I found really interesting and Sufyan and I'm going to make a link to Islam here one of the aspects that was described in how to form good habits was something called habit stacking um, which basically means if you've already got an established habit something that you specifically do every day at a particular time of day or multiple times a day and there's some new habit you want to pick up just add it one after the other. And I have to admit, I, I have done that. So, for example, as a Muslim, we have the five daily prayers. I had a habit that I introduced where, you know, after the Isha prayer, I was going to, like, it was about remembering to do some physical exercise, some mm. basic thing that I could do at home. But I, I found that I struggled to do it daily. But when I tied it to Isha, 
I was able to go, all right, now that I've done that, I know this is the time to now do the next thing as well. So this habit of habit stacking, idea of habit stacking is interesting. And it reminded me that, you know, uh, in the practice of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, or even as Muslims growing up, after the Fajr prayer, we're told that is one of the best times to recite the Holy Quran, for example, as well. Yeah. Or combine or doing it alongside a prayer. Often when you're at a mosque, after the prayer, someone will read out a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. So that, to me, I was like, ah, Yes, I already see this in our daily lives, how you're encouraged that once you've prayed, for example, you then also, you know, you read the Holy Quran. So it's a, by making that connection, assuming you're praying regularly, it kind of makes it easier for you to make that part of your daily and routine. With what I said at the top of the show around the kind of my New Year's resolution about trying to do better at waking up in the morning. So if you do the Fajr prayer at the earliest part of Fajr rather than at the latest part. So oftentimes we tend to set our alarm for the last possible minute where you can say Fajr like these days in January. It's it's around 7 a.m., right? But that's literally the last last few minutes before you're hitting the time where you cannot offer prayer, which is during the sun sunrise, the actual sunrise. Um, I think it's about 90 minutes or so before before that time, which is kind of the barrier. But if you go to the opposite end of the spectrum, the starting time of Fajr and you set your alarm for the starting time of Fajr and then go maybe 15 minutes earlier than that, then all of a sudden now you can stack on the Hajjit, which is the supererogatory uh, voluntary yeah. prayer to that. So you can add on the voluntary prayer, say a couple of voluntary prayers before the Fajr time starts. And that's just by a small incremental change of shifting the time that you pray Fajr rather than at the end of the the, the time frame, put it at the beginning of the time frame, stack the hajjit on at the beginning before the fajr time starts, and then afterwards, as you mentioned, stack on the Quran. And now all of a sudden you have three small habits, you stack them on top of each other, and, and all of a sudden it becomes an exponential growth of a good habit, so to say. Yeah. Yeah, and one real reason, so that's a great example. And one reason why we do that is because it provides a cue or a reminder. There's a specific, by stacking one habit on another. And you're already in the routine. There's a cue, yeah. There's like, a, all right, yep, now I need to do it. Whereas if you say, I'll give you a good example. I want to read more this year. It's like so vague, right? When are you going to start and stop that? Unless you target it specifically for a uh, you know, time slot or with another activity, it'll always remain this kind of vague. So what would you expression. do? That, that reading more one is a common one for a lot of people. Yeah. Schedule I mean, where, where would you schedule it? Schedule it. So let's actually, that's a lovely segue into the, the next topic uh, or the next section I wanted to highlight, which was in this book, there's four laws of behavior change that are outlined. And the thing I like the most is if you want to introduce a new behavior, you do these four things. If you want to break out of a habit um, that you, you're in and you don't want to do, you just do the inverse of the same four things. So um, let's go through that and let's take the reading option as, a, as an example. So... There are four things to do to make this something that you're going to do and stick to. One, make it obvious. <laughs> By that, it says design your environment to make these good habits visible and accessible. So I'll give you a good example here from a fitness point of view. Don't make it so that, you know, your dumbbells or your fitness equipment is in a box tucked away really far away or really hard to get out and somewhere make it there in front of you visible so there's no excuses same if you want to say be more regular in your prayers and while you're at home maybe have your your prayer mat or the things visible easy to pick up make it reduce the resistance to get there so one is make it obvious the second is make it attractive the third is make it easy and the fourth is make it satisfying so obvious is you know no brain it should be in your environment it should be something that's easy to do 
Make it attractive, you know, try and make something that is going to appeal to you. Pair it with something else that you enjoy doing or you like doing. To, and, and also, uh, which we'll come to later, is once you've done it, kind of acknowledge that, yeah, you know, I did do that. Reward yourself for it as well. These feedback looks are, are very easy. Um, make it easy is, is what I just mentioned there about make reduce the friction. Uh, and the last one is, you know, make it satisfying. Use immediate rewards to make these habits feel enjoyable. So if we were to take the one about reading a book, right? So let's take that example. So making it obvious, designing your environment to make it accessible. Um, so this book or the things that you want to read, you know, actually have them available, have them out physically easy to reach there on a table rather than tucked away in a bag somewhere. Um, you know, um, maybe stack this onto another habit so as soon as i come home from work or after a particular after my dinner i'm going to allocate and say this is the time i'm going to do it you can even schedule it in a diary if you want um reduce the friction make it really easy to do and then uh, afterwards use an immediate reward so that you've you've enjoyed it so you, i don't know you're going to have a chocolate bar at the end of it. yeah dairy milk right me and you both went to chocolate straight away there's clearly <laughs> an issue there so um that simple technique will help make this something, you know, something that you can, uh, uh, you know, an, a habit that you're more likely to continue. And, and the book goes into a lot of detail about the psychology of how more likely habits are if they're done this way. And a, another couple of things I want to mention as well. One is we talked about this idea of feedback loops when it's something you've done it well, reinforced that, yep, you did a good job. But then also the t I, there was one thing he highlights in his book called the two minute rule. Now, this can't apply to everything. But he said when you're first trying to form a new habit, like say reading, um, just make that activity just be two minutes. And apparently if it, that overcomes the initial inertia and resistance. And I can relate to this because if I'm yeah. like, yeah, I need to go for a run or a walk or something. Yeah, I should get out next hour and it's going to be 45 minutes. And it's like, you don't want to do it. <laughs> That's the thing. It's just another excuse. Whereas if it's just for a short period of time and then you get used to doing it, then you can, you can, you know, you can build up to it. So those are some of the immediate kind of short-term thinking mm. ideas. What, what are your thoughts? And it's interesting how you mentioned the inverse of that in kind of repelling bad habits. And this is actually something that the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadiyan, peace be upon him, uh, actually talked about in one of his books. And he says that the, that, and there was actually a really interesting article in the Review of Religions that kind of summarized it uh, that talked about and actually referenced the same book that we're talking about today, uh, Atomic Habits. It says in the article that the philosophy of repentance as penned by the promised Messiah and the four laws of breaking bad habits described in Atomic Habits bear a heavy resemblance if utilized correctly. These methods can prove effective in breaking bad habits. For instance, a person who is involved in an illicit relationship and desires to repent would employ the following four following four-pronged approach. So this is the exact inverse of what we just described about developing yeah. good habits, with number one being make it invisible. Yep. So the first one when we're doing good habits was make it visible. So in this case, make it invisible, remove any stimulating factors from your headspace and environment. The second one is craving, make it unattractive, yep. associate something bad towards that habit, which causes a distaste towards it. Number three is a response. Make it difficult. Create distance between yourself and the bad habit. And number four is reward. Make it unsatisfying. And we're less likely to repeat the bad habit if it is painful and uh, not pleasurable. 
And in a similar fashion, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, uh, would prescribe the following remedy to cure this spiritually crippling behavior as follows. So it's actually he actually lays out kind of a very similar structure. And keep in mind, this was well over 100 years ago. So the first one is ikla, to abandon one's evil thoughts and ill fancies. It would be necessary to conceive the other person as ugly. So this is in the, in the example of an illicit relationship. Yeah. Conceive the other person as ugly and call to mind their ig- ignoble qualities. Mm-hmm. One thoughts and ideas bear a heavy influence. Viewing the other person in this light would create an aversion. The second one is nadam to feel regret or remorse, realizing that the pleasures he indulges in are temporary and create a sense of shamefulness. And the third phase is azam, to make a firm resolve to never revert to these vices in the future. And so the Review of Religions article concludes by saying that it's astonishing to see the similarities between both these philosophies presented in different areas expounded over a century ago. The wisdom imparted by the promised Messiah remains relevant and groundbreaking even today. So this goes back to what the question that I asked early on in the show around, you know, how how do we know that that you know, is this truly divine or not? Or is it just a coincidence? I mean, how is it that it so clearly maps well over 100 years ago? Um, I personally don't see that as a coincidence. There's something to that. I don't know if, if it's a coincidence to you, Arif. But. No, you're right. Like you just said, it's, it highlights how closely these two things are light. So may, you can literally see them side by side. And, you know, in the... Um, in the so I had, I had a section further down about breaking habits, but let's tackle it now because I, I think it's a really good time to talk about it. Actually, so he, even in the book when he talked about the four areas about that you just mentioned, make it invisible. So this is James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits. He mentioned, like you said, make it invisible, make it unattractive, make it difficult, make it unsatisfying. And, and in the explanation, one of the points he talks about is so. Let me just take the um, make it unsatisfying. He talks about an accountability partner. Have someone who is there to kind of help ensure that you stay, that you know that you're basically avoiding this habit. So you can have someone, and I think you'll see this in um, people who are going through rehabilitation for, say, addictions. Um, you know, they'll have someone, or they'll have groups where they call, they speak to them on a regular basis. But reflect on this, right? Islam kind of um, has this. There's a hadith, isn't there, that you are a Muslim is a mirror to another mm. Muslim, which basically means that you know the the idea there is this idea of kind of um, you know, community, collective responsibility in a way, like, uh, you know, if a Muslim sees another Muslim brother doing something that they shouldn't do, as a loving brother, they try and avoid, uh, help them out, not to try and, um, you know, necessarily just, um, forgetting the word now, rebuke them, that's the word I'm looking for, rather than rebuke them in a loving way, kind of encourage them in another direction. So this, and what I find fascinating, Islam, although... Islam does, um, there are times in Islam where you don't go into isolation and maybe for a period of time. Islam really emphasizes this idea of community, even praying together as well. So this idea of having coming together regularly, this in a way helps provide you with this accountability partner. 
And it also talks about in this section around making something unsatisfying. It talks about creating a habit contract. Make a written agreement to avoid your bad habit, which can include penalties for failing to uphold your end of the contract. So this idea of like an oath or a pledge, hmm. which again, you know, in in, um, in Islamic term, in Islam and even in the Ahmadiyya community, we emphasize pledges so often. And it might feel a bit archaic or a bit old fashioned, but actually in terms of human psychology, it's a really key thing that you're more likely to kind of break this cycle of whatever it is you know if you actually pledge to do it and make some kind of written contract or at least a verbal contract you know so these things again that we see in our everyday lives as Muslims um, are things that psychologists are, are highlighting are the best way to break out of these habits yeah it's really interesting when you mentioned the whole contract thing I mean even when you think about the initiation and and many would have seen this especially with the current situation what's going on with Palestine, we're seeing an influx of, of people actually being interested in Islam and also people that have taken what we call the bath or the shahada. And it's all over TikTok these days. There was a, recently a video with these women from Australia that had taken the shahada. And it's a verbal profession of, of your faith. You're basically saying it out loud. And it, it, I was reminded of this when you were talking about making a contract, whether it be written or verbal, uh, you're required to profess this, to say it out loud, and then not only that, but then you're given an actual physical document that you have to sign. Uh, again, making it very real and very tangible that this is an oath that you are taking. And and you mentioned that the, the, there's examples of this in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community too. I mean, every auxiliary meeting that we go to, we are required to recite a pledge. We all stand up. We all say the pledge. We reaffirm that this is what we believe. This is who we are. And it reminds us, if we are slacking, that actually, you know what, this is a pledge that we've taken, not with any human being, but with God, that we are going to... Uh, we are going to stick to these rules and that we're going to follow this uh, till our last breath. And that, that just reiterates and makes it, if if we are slipping in our habit of our practice of our faith, then it's a reminder that we have to get back on track. Absolutely, absolutely. And if, if another thing I want to touch on is, um, which is you see at these gatherings, is the idea of segregation is quite strong in Islam in terms of the environment that we're in, you know, the free mixing of men and, men and women. There, there are restrictions on that. And again, that might be something that's seen as a little bit archaic, maybe a bit old fashioned, but the wisdom of it is so profound. And even when we're talking about these four, you know, these four uh, laws of behavior and how to change them, the first one you mentioned was about making it, make it invisible. It is, so yeah. if you remove the temptation completely, then, you know, then, then that's another step. And that, well, I found this is something I found profoundly interesting as well. It's, um, the, um, I believe it's the Promise Messiah, peace be upon him, talked about that in the philosophy of teachings of Islam. It's that, you know, Muslims are not taught, um, you know, look at women, but with best intentions. You know, that is, it's literally said, don't look at them. Hmm. So it's almost like even it's not trying to, if you're just purely relying on your willpower to not do something, then that doesn't always work out. And basically in this book as well, Atomic Habits, it talks about how eventually that won't work. So if you continually put in front of a temptation, but then you're just relying on your willpower to, to break out of it, that is a, that will eventually break down. It's, the book is as black and white as that. Yeah. So, But in the idea of, say, mixing of men and women, Islam is like, for, to start with, it actually says, you know, it has restrictions on that. Don't mix in the first mm. place, segregate. And then if there is, um, if, you know, you do see, a, if a man and a woman do see each other, Muslims, you know, women are asked to cover themselves and men are asked to cast their eyes down. So you can see it there as well, the make it invisible aspect of, you know, in that sense is like literally 
word for word exactly what you know Muslims are asked to do. Um, it's amazing. This. And that's a similar example that we shared about with the promised Messiah and the steps where he was talking about to break a bad habit. And he used the example of an illicit relationship. And if you're segregated and you're not seeing the temptation, as you said, it's exactly that. And 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 even if you don't want to go to that extreme, let's just think of a common New Year's resolution since we started the show with New Year's resolutions and talk about dieting. Uh, so many people, I mean, this happens in my house, too. We we pledge okay. We want to want to avoid sugar and we want to avoid junk food. We've already been yep. talking about dairy milks, which isn't the best example in this regard. But <laughs> you know, if if you want to cut out junk food, I'm always telling uh, my wife and my kids that we need to then stop bringing it into the house, or just make it not visible if you do have it in as well. Yeah. Well, if it's not visible, but it's in the cupboard, and I know it's in the cupboard, or my kids know it's in the cupboard, they're gonna get up extra early in the morning and go raid the cupboard, and it's gonna be gone by the time I by the time I get up in the morning. Yeah. So, in order for it, it even applies there with dieting. If you want to set a New Year's resolution to avoid a certain food or avoid sugar or avoid whatever or you want to go vegan, uh, then don't just don't bring meat into the house and, and you'll be forced to go vegan. So this make it difficult really does resonate. And also with that, let's let's pick, let's pick think about that a little bit more because it's a good example. So, <clears throat> and it also comes into the topic that I wanted to talk about, which was replacement habits. So replacing a bad habit with a good habit, which is something that- So replace a dairy milk talked. with broccoli. Well, let's think about how we would do that, right? The fir- And look, I'm just as guilty as you on this. So the first thing would be in your home, right? Your, the chocolates and the snacks, how easy are they to get to? Very easy. Right. Now, let me t- let's pick the other thing. What about fruit, vegetables, things like that? How are they? How easy are they to get to? Because for most of us, they're tucked yeah. away in the bottom of a fridge, yeah. closed up in a bag. <laughs> that, that is yeah. very true. So I think that's another thing as well is like if you want to eat more fruit, for example, and this can be applied to anything, like have it available, make it attractive as well, right? You know, is it already cut or do you have to open a bag? And and it sounds silly, but those things are the kind of, that's all the excuse your body needs. You will go for the, the path of least resistance. And so if, you know, whereas if we had fruit and vegetables you know, laid out as easily accessible, you know, that would be one step, not all of the steps, but that would be at least it would make it visible and it would make it attractive potentially as well. Um, then it comes down to you, you know, making it, you know, oh, sorry, it'd make it visible and easy to get to. In terms of making it satisfying and attractive, that part of that is you, your psychology about why you're eating it. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one indeed. You're listening to the Pathway to Peace show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Be sure to follow us on X, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Use the hashtag VOIPeace and send us your thoughts, comments, and feedback. I want to just touch on one more thing around the sort of the breaking of of um, bad behaviors or bad habits sorry um, using a verse of the holy quran so one of the things we talked about is to stop you doing something make it unattractive and uh, when i was reading that one example that popped into my mind was what the uh, what the holy quran says about backbiting um, so i'll just quote i'll quote from the quran so this is the holy quran chapter 49 verse 13 it says quote o ye who believe Avoid most of suspicion, for suspicion in some cases is a sin, and spy not, nor backbite one another. Would any of you like to eat the flesh of your dead brother? Certainly you would loathe it, and fear Allah, surely Allah is oft returning with compassion and is merciful. End quote. So here you can see, Sufyan, how a specific behavior that is told to be sinful is then related to something very unattractive, something horrible for us to now immediately averse. Oh, we wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. So you can see that same psychology we just spoke about is being laid out very clearly in the Holy Quran by, by God himself.
That's that's in the Holy Quran. That's that's amazing because, you know, that that is taking the concept with James Clear wrote about a few years ago. Do you know exactly when the book was written? I don't remember offhand, but it was um, yeah that exact concept about make it undesirable. Here, God is talking about a habit backbiting and comparing it to the eating. The the dead the, the is it the vomit or the dead flesh? The, the, yeah, the dead flesh. The, the dead flesh of your of of your brother. The vomit one is about you know when you uh, give a gift, give a gift and you want to take it back again. The same thing. The same kind of uh, method is used of making it unattractive. Comparing yeah. it to taking back a gift is like eating your own vomit, uh, which makes it un, unattractive, undesirable, and makes you as a human being want to avoid doing those ills, taking back a gift, or uh, I forget the other one, backbiting. Backbiting, yeah, exactly. Um, 2018, October, is when that, this book was published. So you're yeah. right, it's very recent compared to you know, the, the, the Islamic teaching from 1,500 years ago nearly. Let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the longer-term things, right? So one, some of the ideas we've spoke about are quite, what, what do I mean by longer-term or short-term? I mean, some of them are focusing on the here and now, making something visible physically easier to reach more more attractive to look at easier for me to access and the bad habits having them pushed away made it harder made add more friction into order to get that but some of this for you to stick to something and again this is mentioned in uh, in the book atomic habits some of them are to do with um, more about aspirational things so for example um Delayed gratification and long-term thinking is one of the themes that is mentioned in this book. So emphasizing the importance on focusing on long-term rewards rather than immediate satisfaction. And that, that applies to so many things. But if you think about fitness and health as well, that's all around going, look, it's going to take me a while where I'm going to have to consistently do this before I'm going to get the results I want. So having to kind of train yourself that, yes, you're going to continue to do this. And the bit I found so interesting, and I was reading this just a few days ago, was the way they talked about doing that is to basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, you need to think about the person you want to be. So let's take your your chocolate example. Um, it's like, I am not going to eat this piece of chocolate and instead I'm going to eat this piece of fruit. One, because it's easy to get to, et cetera, et cetera. But then more aspirationally, because I want to be a healthy person. Yeah. Or even better, I am a healthy person and that is what a healthy person would do. So it's this idea of you're aspiring to be improve yourself that is to me that is the one of the fundamentals of all religious philosophy it's that idea of the self-reflection self-improvement and trying to aspire to be the best you possibly can so again that was one where i read that and i thought wow you know this is exactly in line with islamic philosophy in terms of you know we want to try and be um you know we uh, we make pledges there's certain conditions to being a Muslim. There's certain rules and laws. And we want to, each of us wants to try and be the best possible Muslim we can. And just that desire alone helps us choose what we do, what we don't do constantly. Yeah. And, and for Muslims, I mean, we have role models, right? We have examples yeah. to in front of us uh, for, for all Muslims around the globe, close to 2 billion now. Uh, we have the example of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, who was a human just like me and you, Arif. But he got to such a spiritual state that he was bestowed with prophethood by God himself and was became an example for all who choose to look at and study his life. He's an example in so many ways. We have that role model to aspire towards. So if we want to aspire spiritually to become, if, if we want to get better spiritually, 
right in front of us as Muslims, we have the example that's well documented in in reading and studying the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him. For us, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we have the promised Messiah as well, looking at his life, looking at where we can aspire towards. So if we want to set a goal for ourselves to become like, obviously, we never believe we can achieve that level, but we all aspire to be more like the Holy Prophet, more like the example of the Holy, uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. And in the modern day, all Ahmadi Muslims look at the example set to us by our current caliph, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, may God strengthen his hand, who for us today is a living, breathing example, the closest example we have to the way that the promised Messiah or the Holy Prophet would have practiced their lives in the modern day. Uh, we have him to be our guiding light and our example uh, that we can aspire towards. And any questions that we have as Ahmadi Muslims, if we are left in any doubt, we can always ask him directly and be like, hey, are we on the right track here? If not, give us a course, correction course, and uh, we can take the path that he instructs for us. And he lives and breathes that example for us in his day-to-day -day life as well. You're listening to The Pathway to Peace Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Be sure to follow us at Voice of Islam UK on X, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Use the hashtag VOIPeace to send us your thoughts, comments, and feedbacks. And we're analyzing uh, habits, formation of good habits, breaking of bad habits, and also the specific link with Islam. And for the next few minutes, Sifyan, the next uh, 12 minutes or so, let's look at specific Islamic teaching that establishes good habits. I think the first one I want to start with, and uh, we can just you know go through these in any particular order, but for me, it's all about the five daily prayers because that is the foundation of a routine and it's like every muslim it's incumbent on them to pray that those five times a day and they're at appointed times as you were saying the fajr prayer 90 minutes before sunrise then you have the zohar prayer prayer during the day at around midday around noon um just avoiding the zenith but around that time and then you have the mid mid-afternoon prayer at asr and maghrib at, at, um you know after sunset and then the night prayer isha so those five prayers are spread across the day and if you truly are, uh, you know, if you're a practicing Muslim, you're praying those five times a day, and that provides that consistency, that anchor to every single day of your life. You know, whether it's a weekend, whether it's like whatever it is, whether you're on holiday, whether you're not, you know, I was thinking about this on holiday. When you're on holiday, your time off work, it's around New Year's, Christmas time, like all other routines go out the door to the point where people can't, and I was the same, you can't even remember what day it is because you're not in your regular routine of work and, and schools and things like that. But it's amazing how Islam, no matter what's going on, whether it's, you know, whether it's even if, uh, a festival like Eid al-Fitr, for example, or if it's even your marriage day, the day you're getting married, it's like the five daily prayers still stick, even whether it's a time of battle. Mm. Those prayers are, are just basically like they're the foundation of a daily of a daily routine. And for me, that teaching that consistency and discipline, which is something we teach our kids, it's so powerful because it highlights that no matter what they are doing as children, for example, it's like you still have to pray at these different times. So to me, it feels like that formation of that habit of praying five times a day is ingrained in us and it allows us to build all these other habits on top. Yeah, we're even taught to like live our lives around the five daily prayers. And again, going back to examples, you see His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community doing exactly that. All of his schedule rotates around the five daily prayers and every 
prayer time. He goes to the mosque. He, he takes his time, spends the good 10, 15, 20 minutes leading the prayer and then goes back to his routine. And it's interesting, Arf, because you think, you, you think about prayer. Not only is it instilling a good habit, but as Muslims, we're also taught that if, if, if you center your life around the five daily prayers, it also can help in removing bad habits. Absolutely. Because if, if you know you're going to face your creator and we believe the prayer is a conversation with God Almighty that you're having directly, it's basically keeping you in check where if after Zohar, the Zohar prayer, the one that's right after the early afternoon time, you are meeting your creator, you're talking to your, your creator, you're asking for forgiveness, and then you have some free time and you're, you're, you're mixing with your colleagues at work and you encounter people of the opposite gender, uh, you're less likely to go astray because you're like, okay, in, a, in an hour or two, you have to go back and report back to your creator at Usr, which is the late afternoon prayer. So not only does it instill a good habit, it also helps prevent you from potentially going down the wrong path and slipping because you know that in a few hours' time, you have to go back and face face your Lord. Yeah, there's, the, there's, there's an element of accountability in that. And interestingly, think about what you're actually praying for. You pray in every single unit of the prayer. You're asking God to guide you onto the right path and not you know, avoid the path of those who have incurred displeasure or gone astray. So even in the act of prayer itself, that's something that you're specifically asking for. And I think with prayer, another really interesting modern trend for me is mindfulness and you know and these kind of mental health and mindfulness in the workplace has become such a key topic and in schools that now you know it's talked about so often about when you're in a really stressful situation or at work it's important to take a step back have either meditate for a while or there's so many apps you can get on your phone to help take you know to basically build in mindfulness and take a step back and so much research about the importance of that well, when, wow, think about it. If you pray five times a day during the working day, inevitably some of those prayers will fall. So if you take time out to then go and pray, you're, you're naturally, you're doing that anyway. And I can speak, I'm sure you've had personal experience of this. I, well, I, I can remember specific scenarios where it's been really intense at work, very stressful. And I've had a chance where I, was, I remember this, I remember one explicitly. It was probably about six, it was in the summertime. So it was about 5.36, it was towards the end of the working day. Um, and you know, um, and it had been a really rough day, <laughs> put it mm-hmm. that way. And I remember at the time the office I was working in, they had a small prayer room nearby. So I remember first of all going and performing the ablution before prayer. We we wash ourselves. That initially cooled me down and, and helped kind of de-stress me a little bit. Then I went to say my asr asr salat, uh, the prayer in late late afternoon. And afterwards, I came out with such a sense of um, calmness. I was able to, I did need to go back to work for a period of time, but it helped mentally really reset me and refresh me. And I think at the moment, it's almost like people talk about this in the workplace so often about mindfulness and having time to take to rest, especially when you're working from home and there's more intensity. But actually, if you're performing your five daily prayers, it's built into our very nature and every single um, you know, day, multiple times a day. Yeah, the, the mindfulness is an interesting one. Uh, again, here I'll go back to the example of His Holiness, the Fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, not directly but indirectly. In that, I was conversing some years ago with a friend uh, in the U.S. actually, and uh, we were pondering over, you know, why is it that His Holiness? I mean, obviously we've we've talked about it being a conversation with God and it being all of this. His Holiness has one of the busiest schedules on the planet, if not the 
arguably the busiest schedule on the planet if you look at everything that that he's involved with and me and my friend were just conversing about you know he always takes time out of his busy schedule right he has so many other things on his mind so many other things to do that he takes time out to go lead the prayers and to 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 make the prayers me and you Arif and so many other others <laughs> Unfortunately, what we tend to do is we tend to look at the prayer as a chore, which we shouldn't be, and we go through it as a ritual, or we go through it as a, as a okay, we have to do it, let's just get it done. And yeah. if anyone had an excuse to do that from a worldly perspective, you would think His Holiness's schedule is so jam-packed that he would be the one to maybe rush his prayers. Yeah. But what we realized is that all of his problems are solved in the prayer. So he focuses more time on the prayer, more time in taking a step back, being mindful, and basically expressing all of his frustrations and anger and anxiety and anything else that he's feeling in the prayer. So the conclusion that me and this person that I was conversing with came to is that His Holiness actually gets the 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 solutions to the problems that he's encountering in that day by taking a step back and going back to his creator and getting the answers to those prayers. And I, I was just reminded of that when you were talking there about mindfulness. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point, actually, because whilst I've highlighted that the prayer can be seen as a way to lay the foundations because it's something you do at five times a day, etc., the danger is then it just becomes a ritual. Yeah. And I think it's really important what you highlighted. A, there is during the, the actual wording, the Arabic wording that we are saying during the prayer. We're praying, for, like I said, we're praying for God to guide us. We're asking for help. We're worshiping God. We're also you know, reflecting on our own state as well during the in-between different prayers or when we're prostrating. It's a time for us to pray and ask God for help with our problems and our challenges. And, you know, um, same, let's take the work example. How many times have we prayed during you know, prayer for help with issues or challenges at work and situations as well. It's a really important time. It's not just a ritual. It's something that actually provides benefit in itself, um, helps provide the solutions to the problems, gives us time to reflect, as well as providing this structure around the five day, uh, you know, having this discipline instilled into us. I think it's a great example. And an another one sort of linked to prayer as well. And it's interesting how everything is linking to prayer, although that wasn't our intention here. But another one is, you know, we were talking about the ablution. Uh, or sorry, we were talking about the, the number of times we pray a day. I was reminded there was a, a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and one of his companions asked, why why do is it do we have to pray five times in one day? And he asked the companion that, you know, if there was someone who washed themselves in a stream of water five times every single day, would there be any dirt remaining upon that person? And the answer was no. So at the same time, the act of salat or worship, uh, salat, the prayer in, in uh, Islam, is all around cleanliness and cleaning ourselves as well so it's another and interestingly it starts with a physical cleanliness actually physically cleaning ourselves the wuzu which is a prerequisite to praying so actually islam fosters this habit on uh, you know both physical hygiene and spiritual purity both coming from the the preparation and act of uh, praying five times a day yeah it's beautiful when you when you think of it and you see it in action you're physically cleansing yourself from a body perspective, but then your your prayer is actually that spiritual cleansing and reforming your soul uh, to to get to that next level or that higher spiritual state. So in the um, the next area I wanted us to talk about, and I felt like this needed its own almost subsection, is what we're talking about here, which is establishing routines that help provide 
help instill, define and kind of embed good habits, but then also break bad habits. There's one Islamic teaching, there's one Islamic pillar, which I feel embodies this more than any other. Uh, and that is the holy month of Ramadan, which again, quite topical because, you know, it's coming up in a couple of months time as well. So I want us to talk about this. So for me, it feels like, you know, Ramzan could almost be described as an intensive habit forming period, really, because the focus of what we're doing during that time is, is so, you know, so geared towards uh, the formation of good habits and, and uh, you know, yeah, it's instilling good habits. Sophia, why don't you just take us through a few of the uh, few of, well, explain to our listeners, you know, what what is Ramzan? What are some of the characteristics of Ramzan? Yeah, Ramzan is like a spiritual boot camp for all Muslims. It comes every year. Uh, it appears to move every year, and that's only on the, the, the secular calendar, the Gregorian calendar. But uh, because the Islamic calendar is lunar, if you look at it from a lunar perspective, Ramadan is pretty consistent. Uh, it's, it's 29 or 30 days, again, because of the lunar cycle. And, and as we've been talking about, you know, instilling those good habits, uh, Ramadan is, is, is a time where Muslims around the world try to do just that. And we talked about like replacing bad habits with good habits. Well, in Ramadan, what we're taught to do is replace the physical act of eating and drinking with the remembrance of God. And this is so powerful, and and it ties beautifully into what kind of what we've been talking about, as you mentioned, RF. Like Ramadan is like almost a epitome of of everything that we've we've been discussing here on this show. Is you replace. So at at those times of day when you would normally eat, you're instructed to then spend some time remembering God, spend time in in prayer and meditation and recitation of the Holy Quran. So it almost follows directly in line with kind of replacing something with something a little bit better uh, to instill that good habit. And we're doing this for 30 days with the idea of after the 30 days are done, then you will be in a habit of remembering God more. So it should be easier for you to inculcate habits like the prayer five times a day, the reading of the Quran and other Islamic rituals and so on and so forth. And I think think it's quite interesting how the, so there's one aspect of uh, Ramadan is the physical, like the fasting aspect, the not eating and drinking. And it's interesting how in Ramzan, it's there's there's a pre there's a you wake up early in the morning to eat all the practice of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, which we all try and emulate was he would wake up before um, the Fajr prayer and would take a meal, uh, you know the seri meal, and he refers to that there's a great blessing in that meal. So there would be food associated with that uh, early in the morning, and then the Fajr prayer, and then the fast would begin, and then the breaking of the fast. There's also you know there's the Maghrib prayer and there's food associated as well. So. Again, it's like that waking up early in the morning and knowing that, you know, that's the time you're able to eat uh, is an extra motivation in the it's month the of Ramadan. It's the reward that we talked it about It's the reward. Isn't it? And, you know, it's does, it does provide an extra, uh, you know, motivation. And that helps train us to be doing that because that's something we should be doing anyway. But how, knowing that during Ramadan, actually, if I don't wake up in time, I'm going to miss that meal. I think that's, that's another very subtle way that we're being trained and brought into that routine. Um, and... I'm pretty sure as well, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but I'm pretty sure there is a stat about how many days consecutively do you need to do something before it becomes like an automatic habit? And I don't know if 30 days has been mentioned specifically, um, but there is definitely you know modern day psychological uh, psychologists and analysts who have talked about how this the fact if you do it continually for X number of days consecutively, mm-hmm. it builds a real habit. And I think you know that is, again, something that the month of Ramadan helps us do that. And for me, one aspect is... 
I find it so much easier to fast and stick to the routine of Ramzan during that month because everyone is doing it. Um, you know, as a community, we're all fasting. Um, you know, even if maybe not everyone in your home, obviously children and those who are, are, are ill uh, or very old don't fast but as a community there's this collective responsibility almost everyone's doing it whereas I find when you're catching up the fast that you do afterwards on your own etc or the voluntary one the motivation is harder for me personally I don't know if you find that but it's like when I know it's part of this collective that everyone's doing there is more incentive to do it it feels a little bit easier whereas when it's when it's not during that month and it's I could do it today I could not maybe I could do it tomorrow it's easier to skip and avoid so I think that intensive 30-day period I think is, is also very important yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. We could see that also in the day, in the prayers where we're encouraged uh, to go to the mosque for congregational prayers. So we're encouraged not only to say our prayers, but also to go do prayers in congregation at your local mosque or at, at a what we call a salat center or a prayer center. Uh, so that, in a se- essence, is exactly the same thing. When you're at home and, and you're watching TV, you get lazy or you're watching the, the football match or... Uh, so doing in, in, engrossed in other activities, it's harder to break away from those and uh, go and and make the prayer. But if you make a conscious effort to go to the mosque and you make a, and you see everybody else making their prayers on time, you're probably going to go join and make your prayers as well. You'll be okay. you'll be um, less distracted, and you you'll have this sense of community and like you said you're more likely to do it just as in Ramadan you're more likely to fast because you see everybody around you doing it now I know we're running short on time here but before I pass it back to you Arif I did promise uh, to our listeners that there is a verse of the Quran that references directly to (laughs) I, I, I was mind blown like literally I was mind blown because I was like there's no way that atomic habits is mentioned in the Quran. <laughs> and actually, in, uh, let me see if I have the reference here. Yeah, chapter 99, I want to read verse 7 through 9 uh, of the Holy Quran. God says, and this is the English translation, on that day will men come forth in scattered groups that they may be shown the results of their works. So I'll read the next two verses in a minute, but I went a verse above and what this illustrates, I mean, it's not it's not too hard to kind of draw the correlation just from what I read, but just to make it absolutely obvious is it's it, to me that resonated and said to me, you know, the sum is greater than the parts. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about this just now. We were talking about this sense of yep, community, yep. bringing everything together, bringing everything together. That all of that effort, those small increments that we talked about, help to to make something greater the sum is greater than the parts but the next two verses is where we get to the idea of what we've been talking about atomic habits it says then whoso does an atom's weight wow of good will see it that's a good habits and then the next verse and whoso does an atom's weight of evil will also see it mm. So it's covered the good habits, it's covered the bad habits, it's covered the coming together. It, I mean, you want to call it a coincidence, call it a coincidence. But for me, like, there's no coincidence there. There's something to that. And we, as a society, have only realized this idea of atomic habits in 2018. I'm so glad you shared that with us. And uh, yeah, I mean, you gave it such a big build up. 
but it, it surpassed my expectations actually. So thank you very much for sharing that. I think the then the last point I want to make on this before we wrap up as well is that and Sofiane is highlighted in that verse that you just mentioned. There's two sides to this. It's one about the good habits and forming them and the good deeds, but then also the bad deeds. And I think one other aspect about Ramadan as well is a training ground for the breaking of bad habits. Mm-hmm. And the way it does that is it restricts what we can do to even the point that things that are permissible during the month of Ramzan, when you're in that fasting state, they're not permissible. So, for example, eating and drinking is, is allowed, disallowed. So by putting us, by us cutting out even things that are good and important, it's, it's, I guess it builds that willpower and discipline to show that, well, actually, even if you, if you can even stop eating and drinking just based on willpower effectively during this time, then that means you can do anything like in terms of changes to your life. It kind of empowers you to kind of know that you can make big changes to your life. Yeah, and I'm going to put a cherry on the cake right now because there's also a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, about the same principle of atomic habits. Uh, and the Holy Prophet is quoted to have said that the, that the most beloved deed to Allah is the most regular and constant, even if it were little. So the little small habits, yep. the changes that we make, the changes that we make during the month of Ramadan, those little small increments, the Holy Prophet is saying, those are dear to God because then you can make those regular. If you make those small changes regularly and consistently, God is even advising us to do that. It's amazing. Do you want to mention again the reference uh, for back to the Quranic verse? Can you yeah, the Quran you? reference is chapter 99, verses 7 to 9. Chapter 99, 7 to 9. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. So as we, as we conclude today's uh, exploration of how Islam constantly guides man to form good habits and breaks bad ones, uh, I wanted to recap the main areas we've looked at on the show. We looked at the book Atomic Habits by James Clear and his four laws of behavior change. We saw how the laws would help form habits and the inverse of these same four laws can be used to break habits. Then by comparing and contrasting this approach to the core teaching of of Islam, we were were able to look at how Islam has this deep wisdom within its teaching more than 1500 years ago that links directly to this. Islamic teaching and practices are a masterclass in practical ways to create excellent habits and break bad ones. In particular, we highlighted how during the holy month of Ramadan, it plays a special role in the formation of good habits every year in our lives. And we also highlighted how the five daily prayers are also a key part of this. And right at the end, Sufyan highlighted directly how the idea of small habits or atomic habits is mentioned in the Holy Quran directly. Thank you for joining us on the Pathway to Peace show. For Sufyan Faruqi, this is Arif Khan saying, Assalamu alaikum, may the peace and blessings of God be upon you.